0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Iron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatirons Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. As we're recording this, I believe this is episode 82, but don't hold me to that. I'm not sure. Uh, we got Dusics, uh joining us from his, his base at PPIR. And we've got a special guest joining us today. We've got Mr. Bailey Ipok, uh joining us today as well. So Bailey, I reached out to you. We, we had a, a couple of really good conversations uh, this year at Superlap Battle. And so it's kind of been on the back of my mind. But just as, as kind of the, the year got rolling on, I realized I wanted to reach out to you and just kind of check in and see how things are doing and, and, and get you on the podcast. Um, maybe just to, as a way to start. Uh, for anybody that maybe hasn't, hasn't been following or isn't aware of what you've been doing. Let's maybe talk about why you might be known in the super community and, and maybe just kind of how you got into racing in the first place.
1: Um, okay. So we'll start out how I got into racing. Um, I've kind of always done some type of sports and I was snowboarding in California and I blew out my ACL and I don't oh, know. And I had like, I needed an activity to do. I did have my WRX wagon that I had bought at the time to go up to the mountain. And, I You know, I go-karted and other stuff like that. I've always kind of go-karted through my younger years and young adult life. And this guy, um, James Fitzpatrick out of California, a Navy buddy, I knew he like, hey, man, you should come check out autocross. Hmm. I went and checked it out. I just went to one event and looked. And I was like, oh, yep, I, I'm doing this. And I showed back up, and um, I registered for an SCCA membership, my first event, and even the guy was like <laughs> – What do you mean you already registered? You haven't even ran and you already paid for the year membership. I was like, yep, I know. I know this is what I'm doing. Mm. (laughs) And um, so that was early, mid 2015 that I started autocross. Okay. And I just strictly did autocross for probably about a year and a half, maybe two years and just, you know, stock horsepower on the the wagon. I eventually did have an E85 tune making about 300, 300. Mm -hmm. um fortune auto coils you know just basic suspension stuff and tires and just sending the ever ever living crap out of the thing just driving yeah and then probably maybe it was between the year and a half and two year mark of you know then i started doing track days at uh man fontana um okay and huge track right really big high horsepower track but it's still out there ripping and then i did that a couple times and then global time attack came up in 2017 for a time attack event at Fontana and I was like, you know what, I'm already doing it. So I drove there and yeah, I don't have a truck. I don't have a trailer. (laughs) The Uh stuff I got away with at at, at, like at this event, um, you know, as as Subarus have, I, you know, I was over boosting, Uh I was having head gasket issues. So in between sessions, I would take a Turkey baser and suck all the coolant that went, that got pushed in the overflow, top it off and then cap it and go back out <laughs> wow and, and you drove the car there and then did that at the track yes wow <laughs> well it only it only pushed coolant at like really high rpms after a long period of time like just mm-hmm. normal driving it didn't do it mm-hmm. um and then i blew up third gear on the second day no truck no trailer and um thankfully none of the teeth got caught in the other teeth of the gear so i was able to skip shift three hours home Wow. Okay. <laughs> man. The, Those damn transmissions. Uh, yeah, that was, that, yeah, the, that was the, um, the 075 speed, which was uh, the 3.7 final drive. Yep. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean,
0: actually to this point still, I think I've, I've tr- driven my car to the track every single time, but like every time I do it again, I'm just like knowing what I know now and seeing what other people have gone through. I'm like, man, is this really, is this really good idea? But if you can get away with it and it works, I mean, it's 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 much, much easier. That's for sure. You don't have to deal with the truck and the trailer.
1: I think I think as a newer driver, it's easier to get away with because you're not really, you know, you think you're pushing the limits of the car. But, you know, if you went and checked your data, you're like, oh, I'm only pushing one g through here. I'm not, you know, I'm not fuel starving. I'm not oil starving. You know, I think as you progress as a driver and start to really push the limits of these things, I think a truck mm-hmm. and trailer is a must for sure. Yeah, I I've... Even for myself, I realized that like I, will, I know
0: subconsciously that I will never push as hard as I could if I'm driving the car to the track because I, I'm always going to know and it's always going to be in the back of my head. Like, I still got to drive this thing home. Like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> getting home easily and not dealing with some kind of shenanigans is it, it, always going to be on, on the back of my head and probably is going to keep me off of, you know, away from pushing as hard as I
1: possibly could. Um, I wish I had that safety factor built into me, but apparently when I get on track, I read mist and then, uh, that is the thing, (laughs) you know, I just kind of tend to break from there. Yeah. Well, and so from that point,
0: like, did you do your first grid life event and was that, was that just it or, or did you kind of. Have spent a little bit more time trying to figure out what you what you wanted to do exactly.
1: Um. So yeah. So I ran 2017 was my first global time attack event, and I did run limited class because I was being cheap on tires. Like the car would have fit an enthusiast. Mm. I just didn't want to spend the money for some 255s because I had 275s on it. Mm. And then I got absolutely smacked in limited class by like a 500 horsepower GTR. (laughs) Sure. He probably put like 10-15 seconds on me on Auto Club Speedway. Um, but then, so I moved to Texas, you know, and then when I got to Texas, that's when I started, that's where like the super build really started to kind of take off. And I guess where people kind of started to take notice of it. Um, I was still doing autocross heavy and then, you know, super lap battle 2019 came up. Um, Jason who runs super lap battle always loved my wagon back from, you know, the old days. And so I applied for super lap. Hey, you know, I want to run. And then also I knew the car had to be at a different level of presentable for you know something like super lap at coda mm-hmm. you know like cause my old you know battle gray wagon with you know black fender flares and it just it wasn't easy on the eyes. Um so well, I well to, to, <laughs> to certain people
0: that like wagons uh, it, yeah it, it definitely stood out. We should we should mention too like right at the beginning just in case people weren't haven't followed you already probably the best place to follow you I think is Instagram the ipocalypse I think it's the underscore ipocalypse Yep, that and TikTok, uh, and and you probably if you if you turn that on and you see the wagon with the wing, you're going to recognize it because that that wagon got a lot of a lot of pictures. There you go, for the for the people watching at home, Dussex just showed you. Yeah, he's not yes. following me. I see that.
2: Seventy five thousand. <laughs> it's actually funny. Is I, I see your posts all the time on the TikTok, oh, on TikTok. on Facebook. Well, I see the posts, your TikTok posts on Facebook. I was like, actually, he's he's got a pretty big presence on TikTok. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah. No, it, um, got it. I'm hitting
2: that I'm hitting that red button right now. <laughs> there you
1: go. So TikTok, this man is wild. And there's this race card books called Teas for Turbo. And, you know, uh, my son is named Axel. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was named after a car part. You know, we sat down at a Denny's and my wife made a joke on me named after a car part. And me and my dad just started listing names, you know, boom, boom, boom. And the first video to take off on TikTok was... You know, Axel's probably like one year old and it's like, hey, Axel, what's this? And he's like, Supercharger. I'm like, what's this? And he's like, Turbo. And that just blew up overnight. And that's kind of what kickstarted my account. That's like a dad with a son named Axel teaching him car stuff. Very cool. Um, but in regards to the wagon, so you know, I knew it, I knew it needed to change, it needed a paint job. I always loved, you know, the Voltex body kit look. Not many people were running it on a wagon. I was still on a budget, obviously. So I got the VIS version, which had decent fitment. I was I was able to make it work. I had to make some custom brackets. You know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. You know, she was a 10 footer.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I did all the body work, got a Mako paint job, even got the Mako paint job on discount for on like a Black Friday for hundred bucks off. Impressive. And you know, for El Presidente.
2: You know, yes. so for
1: with the body kit, all the work and about four hundred dollar paint job, man, the wagon transformed. And then wow. it was starting to catch people's attention. I reached out to Johnny at Nine Lives Racing because I did have a chassis mount wing that just wasn't working out. It was hideous. Um, even though it worked and I could stand on it, it also didn't meet class rules. Hmm. I reached out to Johnny at Nine Lives. I'm like, hey, man, let's make something happen. You know, I knew he had already made, you know, something for Dusik's car, actually. Hmm. You guys already had it. And... Uh... <laughs>
2: yeah somewhere
1: whichever yeah so i worked with johnny for about six months four to six months to you know get those brackets made the hatch mount brackets you know it's they're kind of not very common i think only the kit's been sold to a couple people now but that thing took the wagon to like a new level when when the wing went on it did you uh, it's
0: the wagons it's it's hard to attach
1: a wing to a wagon just first and foremost like
0: sedans you guys have it easy You got a trunk you got all this real estate to play with back there. Wagons, not so much, but I think the wagons, like th- that lack of your downforce, it really, that- that's a big challenge. Like if you really want to get really quick with a wagon, you've got to find some way to address that. So how much of a difference did you notice
1: once you finally got it on and got it working? Once I got it on, I got it working, and then I had the front splitter on as well. Because I always, I always had a front sp- splitter, mm-hmm. but I'd never had the wing but I noticed the first time I took it out for a rip, you know, and we'll call it Mexico near my house. Mm -hmm. And I did a hundred plus. I felt the entire thing just suck to the ground. Hmm. And I was just like, I've never felt this before. I was like, you know, you know, those kind of high speeds, it normally feels a little like I, I physically felt it like kind of drop its center of gravity and just hook to the ground. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean the, the rear end of the wagon, especially in high speed sweepers, can get
1: it. Ha, it can get a little bit light.
0: So Which yeah, it, little did, it
1: did. It did at Coda. It it actually even with the wing, it got a little floaty. Mm-hmm. Like it would do, like kind of the stutter skip, where it would like in the carousel, it would like kick a little bit, catch, kick a little bit, catch. Oof! Not not confidence inspiring.
2: <laughs>
1: Is anything we do confidence inspiring? Uh, some of the things. <laughs> some of the things.
2: I mean, if you can be uh, uh, you know, stubborn enough to uh, try and race Subarus, I mean, what's a little stutter skip coming out at like like 100 miles an hour, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, that's true. And now we take a quick break from the podcast to ask you for a little help. If you listen to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports podcast on iTunes or Spotify, we really appreciate it and we are trying to grow our audience here. So if you can, maybe tell a friend or share your favorite podcast episode to help get the word out. It would also be fantastic if you could rate and review the podcast on this platform that you use. That will go a long way to help other people find out about the podcast, and it will help our audience grow. And as always, you can support the podcast by visiting our website, flatironstuning.com, for all your Subaru OEM and aftermarket parts needs. Thanks very much for listening, and now, back to the podcast.
1: But, yeah, so my Super Lap Battle experience is, uh, let's say, been nothing but a nightmare, though. Oh, man. You know, so 2019, I did. I had done a transmission swap after I blew up that five speed at Global Time Attack in 2017. I had a JDM 444 final drive in it, which actually really, you know, brought the thing alive and made even 300 horsepower feel that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but same thing on a downshift. I believe it was in turn 6, uh, third gear disintegrated. Wow on the second day of global time attack or i mean have super lap battle you know ended up not placing that well for it and that's kind of the trend for the next <laughs> couple oh, years man. yeah well you you definitely had some you you ran
0: into some challenges it it's uh, super lap and stuff and i don't know do you want to do you want to just dive into that or
1: we can yeah i mean all right um so uh so that so that's what happened 2019 and then so 2019 i was like and I was running a street class and, you know, my times were nowhere near competitive for street class at the time. And I was like, okay, you know, if I want to be competitive, competitive in street class, I got to step it up. I got my hands on a six speed swap. And I was like, it's, I need to at least make four fifty out of this. That seemed like a healthy number, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for Coda. Coda is very, you know, regardless of how great of a drive you are at Coda, if one guy is trapping 30 miles an hour more on the back straight than you are, like, that's just really hard to compete with. Yeah. You know, and you got, you got the back straight, you got entering the S's, you got the last, you know, coming out of the carousel and the straight before the front straight, all of them, you're almost touching a hundred plus. So you have almost five sections touching a hundred plus and it's, it's hard to compete if you don't have the power. Sure. Now, if you're dust six and you got, you know, a 2,700 pound car making 300, you know, he could, he could definitely put down a much more respectable time than I was. Sure. For sure. There's a, there's know, a it's, lot it's at fun- that track with power to weight.
2: It's funny, people are like thirty miles an hour, like you just made that number up, but like even as fast as I felt like I was going, Jackie Ding was doing like hundred and sixty five miles an hour <laughs> at both two straight <laughs> stretches like yes. thirty miles an hour is a real number that people are gonna go faster than you the leading guys in those classes, you know
1: it's it's yeah. definitely like seconds like thirty miles an hour is probably like two to three seconds, oh yeah. At least on track with as many big straightaways as code I mean, it could be a little bit more than that. even. Probably. Uh, so it was like, okay, time to full dive. motor. Still, my stock motor had been really good to me for four years, you know, at 300, mm-hmm. 300. Pulled that motor out. Um, time to build it. Time to fully build it. Sent it off this, you know, won't go too deep into it, but sent it off okay. to a guy to get it built and spent a lot of money. Worked a lot of overtime. Worked 50, 60-hour weeks to... Yeah. try and build this middle pretty much you know super lap battle 2020 was like i'm coming for it this year was like the plan and as i was going that's when i started to realize like man if you want to make between four to five hundred and a subaru like the amount you have to spend i wasn't mentally or emotionally prepared for this. sure
2: <laughs> and
1: sure. so got the car you know got you know or got the motor And then I actually bought a lot of the parts used, like use headers, use turbo. You know, I realized that's where I had to kind of cut the cost, was getting all, like, injectors, fuel rail, fuel system, everything else used to kind of try and keep the the price point down. Um, But unfortunately, so it's, I get the motor, I get it tuned. And then two weeks before Super Lab, I'm like, let me go do an autocross shakedown. I'm always a big believer, you know. I like autocross. Not everyone feels not every track guy feels that way about it. But I always love it because if it, you know, if you, if it's gonna break at 60, 70 miles an hour, autocross, like it's much more manageable than I just yeah. towed to a track day. I spent a couple hundred dollars for a track day, and then I broke, you know, this this small sensor or something my first day, at my tr- first track session. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Subaru first autocross after the shakedown, it it jumped ten teeth.
2: And, and then in timing
1: time, and jump 10 yeah. teeth in timing. And what had happened is on the, you know, the motor that was installed, I got a Gates Gates belt timing kit. And this is at the time when Gates had switched manufacturing from Japan to Taiwan or whatever. Yep. yep. And so people were, it was like just starting, like people were starting to say, Hey, this is happening. Watch out for it. Um, it's something I, I didn't pay attention to or the engine builder didn't pay attention to at the time. And yeah. unfortunately I paid for it. So Yeah, and it's worth it's worth
0: mentioning when this happened, like up until that point, all of the components that came in a Gates timing kit, they were the same manufacturer as OEM, NTN and uh, NTN CSK Koyo bearings and everything like that. And that's why for up until this point, Gates was just the standard. And then all of a sudden they made that quality change and, and it it took a lot of us a bit to Realize what was going on.
1: It it was very unfortunate timing. You know, I just spent a small fortune. You know, getting this thing, and then so, you know, my choice was to back out or push through, and I I chose to push through, and so I was working. and you know, I was on third shift at the time too, so my work schedule was like 10 p.m. to 6:30 a.m. I would come home, wow. I'd sleep like four hours. I was pull. I got the motor pulled and head off in like a day and a half. And I was like, you know, took it up to Houston, got the valve job, did you know, did the head gasket, put it all back together. I hadn't done any of this before. You know, I, I've always done remove and replace, but in like head jobs, head gasket. No, I've never done any of that. The engine builder did walk me through all that steps. Um, got it, got it back installed, got it on the road with like just a couple days to spare before super lap. Okay, cool. We made it through the hurdle. Let, let's go set down some laps uh and then i get there and this is this is also an error on my part you know i'm still i'm still i'm always learning i'm still pretty new to you know what seven years five years in time attack roughly and seven years in motorsports. um i had got a catch can a comp aos catch can and it came with like an extra catch can for the dump hose and normally it's supposed to be installed on the driver's side. Uh, strut tower, but that's where I had my flex fuel sensor. So I installed it on the passenger side strut tower in the corner near the turbo. So first session go out and another thing is I, I had cheaped out on a turbo blanket when I should have bought, you know, the quality 150 plus, you know, I think I only bought like a $50 turbo blanket and I I paid for that too. Unfortunately, I hadn't learned. I did learn. Mm. So what had happened is the heat from the turbo started to I think descent or melt the petcock at the bottom of the catch can. So I'm now mixing E85 oil mixture right next to the turbo and it was dripping near the turbo and it caught the turbo blanket on fire and it caught my 52 pin plug coming out of the firewall on fire. Ouch. (laughs) And this is
2: like first two sessions of the day or something. First two sessions.
1: Yeah. 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 And and there's, there's no
0: such thing as a small engine fire. It's, yeah, it's just there's no such thing. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter well, what it is.
1: The first one, because there was two in the same day. Oh, the oh first one was small, and I, I pull in, and I see a little bit of smoke coming out of the hood. I pop the hood, and the turbo blanket's on fire. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I take my fire extinguisher out, and I put it out. And I'm talking. Okay. I literally just go, like the tiniest little squirt, and it puts it out. I'm like, okay, no big deal. I did notice I melted the wire harness. I had a buddy who came up from Corpus with me who was more electrically savvy than me he um he took like two hours and he picked apart my wire harness taped it all back up you know kind of did the best you know track side job he could do to send me out for next session and so, did... so at this point i'm guessing you you thought it was the turbo blanket you didn't realize that there was the catch can part of yes exactly i didn't yeah. i didn't realize that i did drain the catch can in between sessions but i didn't realize that it was dripping, or they, it kind of have got melted, and so I go out for next session, and I'm like three corners into like just leaving pit row, like warm up lap, and big fire, big fire coming out the hood vents, and I'm like, oh my god, like what is going on? I pull off to the side, and you know I I jump out sporadically, and I get my fire extinguisher, and I go to hit it, there's nothing. Oh no. Because of that that tiny squirt I had done on the small fire, even though I thought like it would still be fully charged, apparently completely depleted the thing. You know, I've never had engine bay fires. I'm still learning, and I'm like, oh, like my heart literally sinks. Like I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna watch my pride and joy burn down right in front of me. Oh my gosh! Well, yeah. here here comes Zane Dupree. In his S two thousand, and comes barreling out. It like pulls up behind me. Comes barreling me out of the car, sprints over with his fire extinguisher, and puts my fire out. Wow! And I'm just like, uh, bro! And we're just, we're like having a big man hug on the live stream, just like, uh, <laughs> man. He he almost got some heat for it, but because it's technically not track etiquette. But since it was during the warm up session, people were more understandable about it. But it took. He had already put out the fire. And the, the track marshals, it probably took them, like, another, like, five-plus minutes to get there. Wow. So, if I would have waited for their fire extinguisher, like, the amount of damage have would have just been, you know, unrepairable.
0: Yeah. Man, that is that is not the way that you want to, you know, start your, your track event. That is for sure.
2: Well, it's. I just want to point out, too, I mean – when you say, oh, it's my first engine fire, we don't, none of us want engine fires, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, so it's like, right. I know what you mean, when I had my um, oil cooler issue, or my fire at a, at a road Atlanta, I was just like, totally took me by surprise, like, what the fuck, like, it was, it was pretty crazy, you know, yeah,
0: well, and, and since talking to you, and working through that with you, Dustix, that's, that was one of the big motivations, plus the fact that now, in, in rally, um ARA, you're actually required to have a fire suppression system in the car. So something that the driver can pull to, to uh, spray fire suppression in the engine bay. And we realized that like for, for our race cars, like, why wouldn't you just put that in there? It would be so much better to have that and not need it than the other way around. So yeah, it's one of those, like we, a lot of us have learned from these lessons of, of, you know, better ways to to put in fire suppression that it, it's it's not something that's going to make you go faster but man if a situation should come up where you need something like that way better to have something pre-installed where you can just pull a lever you know just shoot down the engine bay with with fire retardant and and give your give yourself a lot more time to get out be safe hopefully save the car as well
1: i agree i definitely agree
0: yeah man and 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 so so where did it go from there <laughs> Worse, (laughs) worse? got worse. Oh my gosh, I was afraid to ask. Um, Okay,
1: so, and this is also, you know, this is also probably an error on my part as well. Is so the Suby went and sat in the garage. I was like, man, I parked it. It sat in the garage for four months because I started to do the. I was like, let me pull the dash. Let me start just seeing if I can replace this harness that got melted. And then I slowly started to realize almost the entire like the entire every last piece of material had to come out to get out that that harness i melted yeah and i was just like yeah oh man like and i was like nope i'm not messing with this (laughs) i'm not messing
0: with this let me ask you then at this point because it you it seems like kind of like what you said with, with when you had your timing issue and you decided to take on you know putting the engine back together yourself is this like did you come with a background of experience of working on cars and and being mechanically inclined or is this something that you're now in the process of kind of learning as as you're having to go through all these things
1: i'm i'm definitely an on-hands learner you know um okay i have been an aviation mechanic for about 12 years now um you know so i did have some experience from the navy working on helicopters and kind of doing other stuff but like when i very first, you know, 2015 started learning. I didn't know anything about cars. You know, I learned everything on YouTube, you know, just like, you know, it's all my sway bars. install all my coilovers and every, you know, tr- you know, trial by fire. You know, first time I did a clutch, you know, everything was just kind of just, you know, jump in and, and see what happens. And I'm still, even though I'm much more experienced, there are things I tackle now. It's like, let me just jump in and see what happens. Okay. Okay. And um, so I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to tackle that. And that's when I bought the Evo. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> did you have your Evo yet? Yeah. I remember so at- when you were making the post. Like, man, it just it's crazy how expensive it is to make power in a Subaru, but knowing the, how the Evos can be.
1: So, and that's in the We'll get into the Evo too if you want. We can we can go down the whole road, but we can't. Yeah. So I get I, I decide to get the Evo. You know, I know I know it's a very um. Equally it can be equally as competitive. I've seen Evo's top time attack events, I've seen Subaru's top time top time attack events, you know. They both have a lot of potential. So I get the Evo and I start I just start doing slow stuff to it. And uh, man, the Evo though, like in an autocross standpoint, was just an absolute beast compared to the Subaru. Um I I had like T and coilovers that I didn't even know where they were valved to, a Yokohama AO fifty twos and an E eighty five too. And I had tended a national tour for autocross down here in Texas. And I took first in the class for, was wow. it and like on like a very under under car for the class granted the water or the rain took an uh, advantage for my day one. I was able, I was like in fourth place. It was like semi puddly. And I was able to rip out like the fastest time, like half puddly half dry with the Evo and got me first place in the second day. I just held on to it
0: wow
1: and then well, yeah and
0: th- i mean they're they're a, a very fast platform for sure i mean it, it's well known
1: so after that but then after that i shortly broke first gear in the transmission <laughs> okay the evo so you know i just you know i'm i'm, I'm used to this story <laughs> yeah. yeah so i and actually at the time that is when Optima Worlds in near the end, the Optima Worlds Autocross event for $25,000 The inaugural event had got dropped at Coda Mm. and you know, in Coda is like three hours from me, like I'm going to that. Right. And so I, I apply for the event, you know, kind of put my resume and stuff. I get approved. Now the race is on to get a transmission or get this transmission built. Luckily some dude in Houston had a freshly rebuilt five speed on hand. I buy it from him. I get him in the car. I get in the car and I go and run the Optima event and same thing T coolovers, coilovers Yokohama O fifty twos and an E eighty five tune and I took twenty fourth out of eighty two. Wow, so respectable. Noth- nothing, yeah. crazy, but it was respectable.
2: Yeah, you're gonna definitely have people show up for an event with that kind of payout too. Exactly.
1: Sure. Oh yeah, and, and yeah, especially all the like the top twenty five guys. You know what's his um the guy from Grid Life Sean. I don't know how to say his last name krebishaw. He was there, you know, Jeremy Swenson was there, uh, Ferris was there, you know, all the big names from both coasts were at this event, running this event for the 25K. Okay. Man. Well, and so at that point, are you just like sold that the move to the Evo was 100% the right call? I should have been, but no, okay. I wasn't. I'm stubborn. One day okay. I go back to the garage and I'm like, let me just start picking apart this harness. So I, I, I you know, i sit out there and i just start slowly picking apart this crusty harness in front of me and as i start to realize it's not as bad as it looked you know after i take a time and cut away cut away a bunch of the melting it had melted about 13 or 14 wires together roughly i'm like you know what this is repairable so i just one by one clean them and cut them out and re-splice in new wires on every single one of them and at and then went and took it for a rip, and she absolutely ripped. And I was like, oh, the new Roos back. I even posted a video like, she's wow. back. <laughs> yeah. She's back from the dead. And people were like, no way, dude. Like, that way you, after an engine bay fire, it's still running. Wow. <laughs> that's, okay, that's that's a, a lucky, uh, fortunate turn of events for sure. It At the time, it, it felt like it. Yeah. Uh, but then... So I'm I'm up in the air about Super... And then I'm up in the air about Super Lap Battle 2021, right? It's it's the biggest and closest event to me in Texas. So it's always something I want to like work my ass off to make. I did more stuff to the Subaru, got it a little more ready, handled a little bit better. And I'm ready to go. I re- work was kind of a thing at the time. I was possibly not going to be able... Work schedule ended up working out. I sign up for Super Lap last minute. I go. First session snap a rod oh man okay (laughs) so this is this is where i'll go back to my mistake and this is what i think it kind of you know one and this is another thing you know i've subarus have really bad brakes right or especially like the stock the stock brembos and everything that was an issue i'd chased for years of a very soft pedal so i was i had thought i had figured it out but i was taking a little bit easier and i was trying to do more compression braking so my, my downshifts were a little bit more aggressive on the back straight, trying to kind of make up for it. But I was only going like 70%. So, but when I went back and looked at the GoPro footage and I turn it up, I can actually hear the rod rattling come before I even touch the back straight. Hmm. Like obviously I can't hear it in the car, but where my GoPro was, it it could hear it. And, and then the downshift just So, I think what possibly happened is when the Gates Tensioner jumped timing, and, you know, I jumped 10 teeth, you know, those valves met the pistons pretty good. Mm -hmm. And all it took is one ding, one nick in the bearings, and they probably were slowly eating themselves over the next year. Could be. Possibly. Because the side that I lost valves and bent valves on is the exact same side I snapped a rod. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... When I, when I pulled the motor out and I dropped the oil pan, I was like, oh, my God, there's... And it was an I-beam rod with ARP-625 studs. Wow. That's, that <laughs> and, is not an easy feat. Yeah. So I think what possibly happened is the bearing was slowly just eating itself over time, and then it... Um, I didn't... What I could have done, I probably could have done a Blackstone's oil analysis lab or cut open my oil filter and caught it early. That's something I'm still. I was still learning in the process. Now I religiously, even when I'm doing my truck oil changes or transmission, I cut open every oil filter and I inspect it for material. Like it's something I do. You know, that was a hard lesson learned. Sure. And um, and that's something that a lot of us don't still to this day don't do.
0: Yeah, paying it like trying to trying to get as much information out of even routine maintenance is something that's easy to. It's easy to overlook because if it's if there's not a problem, there's not anything to grab your focus or grab your attention or justify a little bit of extra effort or or whatnot to just try and get a get a more complete picture of what's going on with the car at that point.
1: It's I mean the oil filter at least, it's like 30 bucks on Amazon. Cut open every oil filter I get a hold of, you know, and just for just for peace of mind. You mm-hmm. know, okay, this will appease me for the next couple months until I do the next yeah. event and I cut open again. Or something along the lines of that. But what I think had happened is since the bearing was starting to eat itself, the aggressive downshifts ate it even quicker. So eventually the bearing was gone and the rod was just floating in there with no bearing. And then that's why it snapped. I was trying, like, I heard it coming down the back straight. I cleared the corner. I was like, oh, man, I need to get off track. And I was like, I, I accelerated a little bit, like, just to kind of give myself momentum. And when I, it just coasted and then started coasting as it was coasting Oof. and then I made it out. I did make it off track, thankfully, but yeah, that was first session. Like I was only going 70%. I didn't even put down like a real respectable lap time. I was still just trying to man. figure it out. And this is, this is 2021. This is 2021,
2: man. And for those that don't know, oiling down the track at, um, at koda at koda uh, is not cheap
1: <laughs> they they charge you
0: by the foot yeah by by the foot to clean the track you get
1: a bill and that's that's not a bill you want i know that someone someone recently at 2022 got a bill for that when they oiled down what session 3 of the second day they did a pretty big oil down on it
2: yeah yeah i think i think they said something along the lines of like a $10,000 bill <laughs> i don't know if they ever found <laughs> yeah. out who that was but yeah that still sucks
0: yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's frustrating the first time out and it's, and it's, it's even more challenging at that, at that event to, to know that there's a, that kind of repercussion for having a failure. I mean, usually when you're at the track, the, the, the penalty for having an engine failure is you just lost your engine. So it's, it's a little bit of insult to injury to a hundred percent,
1: get charge, to clean it up. Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't, you know, the block didn't crack and I didn't lose oil. You know, it just, it may have spit the rod into the pan, but funny enough, I drove it into the driveway when I off got it trailer. off the trailer and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, let me just drive it up the hill. And it was, I can't believe it was run. It was running on three cylinders wow. and the rod was just slapping around in there. <laughs> I still it'll, it'll have the rod. Far. Yeah. I still have the rod as like a momenta, you know, like, <laughs>
0: oh yeah gotta hold on to stuff like that for sure well so so just up to this point because i i know that unfortunately for for those at home that, that might not know there there's not a happier ending for 2022 at this sort of but it's still challenging but at that so at this point like where are you at with supers like you're you're you've learned at each step and and you've, you've already got the evo in in hand are you to the point where you feel comfortable enough with the Subaru platform that you wanted to keep going that way? Or is that where you're just like, I've got the Evo. I
1: feel like that that is a more comfortable platform. And then that's where you kind of moved all your eggs into that basket. That's, that's exactly what happened. You know, I gave, I felt like I gave their Subaru one last good shot, even, you know, even though it wasn't really a good shot. Um, so I did, I parted out the Subaru and actually some dude up in Dallas who was, you know, kind of a fan from Instagram and TikTok, He bought, I sold him the entire shell with drivetrain and suspension. So the wagon is still oh. out there, you know, and it will possibly make, you know, a return looking good. But like awesome. kind of everything else kind of got sold off of it. You know, all the fuel system, the turbo, whatever other stuff. Okay. Um, and then I did, I took a good chunk of that money and I invested it into the Evo. You know, I got Fortune Auto 510s. I got, you know, the suspension stuff I needed, the sway bars, and I just started making moves with the Evo and it in a, from an autocross standpoint it was progressing fast really fast and um, I was doing you know top time of day regularly at local events if I went to like San Antonio or Houston I was I was you know kind of up in probably the top 20 not there but it was it was improving very fast <clears throat> and so yeah it was it was time to build the evo well and maybe let's just
0: take a take a step back there and think about building both platforms up, because you, you had the WRX, it was stock, and you built it up to the point where you were competing with it, and with the Evo, it sounds like you basically somehow found an Evo that was just lightly modified, which, I mean, those are not very many of those left out in the, in the wild, and then we're starting to build it up. What was what were some of the
1: differences in the way that the platforms progressed between the two? Um, well, so the Evo actually didn't have a great start either. So the guy I bought it from... Well, you know, was a turd out of San Antonio and pretty much what had happened. I think it had a built, he bought it used. It had a built motor and everything. He pulled the built motor and he threw some stock motor in it that was like 120 K on it and threw it in just kind of, just kind of threw this thing together. Yeah. And so I got it for a pretty fair price when, you know, considering the Evo market. And he, you know, he told me, oh yeah, this thing's making 420. I know what 4, 420 should feel like. And I get in this thing, this thing's not making 200 like the oh, tune wow. the tune was way off so i had to go get it retuned kind of get some things touched up get some things fixed and then that's it was making 360 what 320 and it was it was healthy and respectable of that and that is why the big reason i switched to the evo is because like stock evos with injectors and a fuel pump and maybe some bolt-ons can make 400 400 no problem Right. like if it's actually if you look at You know, and it's called a you know quote 16 G of an Evo turbo and the 16 G of a Subaru turbo. It's literally twice the size, Mm -hmm. and which is funny because they still spool almost exactly the same. About you know 3500 RPMs, they're on full spool on a stock turbo.
2: Yeah, it's all that damn exhaust manifold and intake manifolds we got.
1: It It, it sits way closer. That that is you know if we want to go down that road, that's that is a hill I'm willing to die on. Is when it comes to like boost response. Like, oh, sure. You know, because a lot of people build for track and me building for autocross and track, I run into more um, roadblocks than other people. Like, if I got a turbo that spools up at 43, 4500 RPMs, that might be plenty fine for the track. I'm getting demolished to autocross. Like, yeah. it's it's just too late. So, that is something, you know, and we can go down that road. Well, we can it, go. <laughs> it's, 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 it's something.
0: The the biggest difference with the Subaru's, with the EJ, specifically the EJ engines, is because the turbo is so far away from the engine, there's so much manifold to pressurize before you get to the turbo. So like I think like there one of the first turbos that I had on my two-liter was an Evo 316G. So it's the Evo 3 compressor wheel in a 16G for a Subaru. And when when you say that the that the Evo is much bigger, I think what the difference is is it's the hot side, not the cold side the, the the turbine housing can be much bigger on the evo because it's so close to the head it can it, it you don't you don't have to pressurize all this volume of, of a header uh, that you do on the super and so you can spool up this this turbo much faster with a bunch of bigger hot side and then you have much better top end. and this this game that you're playing with the super turbos is to get that same kind of spool you have to have a really small hot side so that once you finally are able to pressurize the manifold it gets the the turbo gets to moving and then you make the pressure but then you the trade-off there is then it falls off on the top end because now that hot side is a restriction um and so it, it kind of chokes off your top end power and then if you put a big turbo with a big hot side on there like years ago when we were playing with the dominator 3 twin scroll you can literally get to a point with the super engine where you just do not flow enough volume of exhaust to spool the thing up and it and you just have like no low end power so you can run for like nine thousand rpms it would probably know pull like a freight train up there but then that's a whole nother set of challenges so yeah throttle response power band. i mean there's there's it's so important when you're picking a turbo and and it's a it's a i would say almost even a more crucial choice on a Subaru than an evo because the the compromises that you're making are more exaggerated because of how much further the
1: turbo is away from the engine agreed uh, like you know when you when you let's kind of step back from it and look at it like you just think of distance traveled you know what i mean if, if I got this, you know, three-foot balloon, how long is it going to take me to blow air to fill this three-foot balloon compared to I got, how long is it going to take me to fill this six-inch balloon? You know, and that's kind of, like, the, the how far the hot side is on the Evo from the Subaru. Yeah. Um, you know, and, like, I know a lot of people were like, oh, let's go into, a, you know, what, the one-and-a-half-inch headers and stuff, and, like, that's just, that's going to murder your spool. Um, I... I strongly, I haven't officially proved it yet, you know, because my stuff breaks all the time and it doesn't last. (laughs) Yet, yet, yet. I'm getting there. I think, I think a lower horsepower car, let's say a 400 horsepower car, but it's hitting max spool at 3,500 RPMs, will beat a higher horsepower car on track because you have a you have a better power band. You know, you're coming out of the you're coming out of the corner now. If it's like a one and a half mile after the corner, then yeah, the high ho- the higher horsepower car will catch up. But that's not always a factor for a lot of things, you know. What Coda's back straight is what? dustix three point four miles, something along the lines of that. You're on mute. Yeah, Dusics.
2: Oh yeah, it's not that long, but it's pretty damn long. It it
1: feels like I an think attorney. it's close to a mile. I I think it's just under a mile. So maybe on that back straight, it's you know the higher horsepower would take over, but most tracks, you know, have smaller fast sections, and I feel a faster spooling setup with lower horsepower will beat out the fat, the higher horsepower setup. Yeah, it's the 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 better power
0: band. It's like you're stretching this rubber band. You you go into a corner, you come out of the corner, and the the better power band is going to accelerate much faster than than the the turbo that comes on much later that makes more power. But then the longer the straight is, finally making the the power that faster car is going to catch you it's just like how how far can you stretch that rubber band and then and can you can you finally break away or not like um you know Scotty here he's he's been racing his his car in TT3 at you know 280 horsepower 288 horsepower but he's able to run against like Corvettes and Vipers and actually put down a faster lap time overall because his car has a really good power band and all the arrow that he's done, he goes through the corners really fast. So he's, he's stretching that distance in the corners so much that their extra power uh, on the straights is not enough to catch him. And, and overall, he puts down a faster lap time.
1: I, I haven't yeah, yet to prove sure. it, but I, I, know, I know it. I know that's a thing. Yeah. Um, so we'll, sure. we'll dive into this a little bit more. This is my two obsessions are boost response and PCV. Okay. So yes. we'll, since we're on boost response... And this is something I learned uh, probably about 2016, 2017. I got a buddy in in San Diego, heavy autocross guy, and he sent me a dyno sheet. Mm -hmm. I won't name him. um, But his dyno sheet, he made 550 foot-pounds of torque at 3,000 RPMs. And he made almost 500 at redline of 7,500. So his power band was from 3,000 to 7,500 was over 500 the entire time. This thing was an absolute unit. Yeah, and you know, once I saw that, I was like, I have never seen a turbo spool that early. So I started, you know, kind of breaking down his setup, and he was on a Borg Warner internal wastegate, twin scroll, hmm. with a titanium hot side. Those are the th- the four big factors, and oh, sorry, the fifth one, a four port boost controller. Hmm. So I kind of just took note. I was like, okay. You know, and this is on Subaru. You know, he did have headers and the up pipe and stuff. He did have the reverse manifold, kind of shortened the distance of the intercooler piping in the front, but you still kind of got a lot of spaghetti going on there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, man, you know, this dude is making some boost response I've never seen before. So I took note. You know, dual port, um, dual port wastegate, twin scroll, titanium hot side, and Fort port boost controller. And Mm -hmm. so when I started the Evo, I was like, this is exactly what I need.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, because to me, engines are air pumps. And how you manipulate that air, it doesn't matter what platform you do it to. You know, some people are like, oh, this only works on Subaru. And this only works on Evo. This only works on Mazda. You know, like, I think how you manipulate that air, you know, with either volume versus velocity and what checkpoints you add into it or, you know, relief points, it can all be manipulated very similarly. Yeah, for sure. So. I, I had messaged a turbo builder. Hey, man, I want a titanium hot side 20G turbo. Like that was what I was set on. Ah, man, unfortunately, we, you know, I, I can't get my hands on that. I don't think they make anything like that. Hmm. And then a couple months later, I stumble into a conversation with another guy out of California, and his name was Donald Tom. And he's like, hey, man, check out this turbo I just built. And he showed, he's like, it's a 20G with a titanium hot side stock location turbo. And I'm like, dude build me i was like i'll buy this right now i was like i'll buy this right now he's like oh i've already sold it to another customer i was like so he, he 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 searches with his suppliers for a couple months and he finds me a titanium hot side because evo turbos are reverse rotation okay so they're not the normal rotation compared to all other cars so that is what kind of makes them harder to build like a stock location turbo and um So he finds me in this titanium hot side. He's sending me pictures of everything like it on the scale and how it's like so many grams lighter than the, you know, the, the, the normal hot sides. And I'm just like, yep, yep. This is it. This is it. (laughs) Okay. So so this is a titanium, uh, turbine wheel. Yes. The hot side. Okay. Okay. Yes. So I had a 20 G billet, 20 G billet cold side. And then the hot side was a 16 G titanium hot side. And so the, and with the billet in the front is lighter too so my entire rotating mass of both sides was reduced. Wow. Um, and I did have people tell me like, yeah man, no that's not going to work. Like you know, you know, you don't know it's not going to work. I I had like bigger names, you know, respectable people tell me this isn't going to work. Um, well fast forward, I end up getting my hand, you know, I get the turbo, same thing, distance traveled, you know, the amount um, I ended up going with like an FP manifold at the time, which was just slightly bigger than stock. I live a little more air. Same thing, you know, like I believe, you know, like those big spaghetti kind of turbo manifolds on all these cars, like all you're doing is adding distance traveled. If you're increasing the diameter and you've increased your header, your exhaust manifold header by, you know, six to 12 inches from all of the, the kind of fancy stuff you've added. Now you're just hurting your, your spool as well. So yep. I keep it. I keep it simple, and then the last hurdle was the wastegate, and I'm. I just ordered the internal wastegate W. What is, is I believe it's WG seventy five. Yeah, and it's a dual port wastegate. I didn't know. I was like, to order it. Yeah, that's a it, big chunk. It's, it's a big chonker, <laughs> and I just ordered it. I was like, I'm gonna make this thing work, and it probably took me a couple weekends of getting spacers retrofitting it kind of putting it in the car making clearance kind of but after i figured it out i got my i got all the components i thought i needed to make this thing spool like a monster okay. and we are i'm on a stock 2.0 stock 2.0 motor heads and rotating assembly all i have is like arp head studs i I find a tuner who's kind of willing to tune it because we're we're kind of an a- experimental thing. Like, a lot of people haven't right. dealt with four port boost controllers. Like, they just they just kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, that doesn't work. But if you see anything that comes out of Yimmy, do you know who oh. Yimmy Motor? Yeah. Yimmy yeah. Moto Yimmy Sport and
2: Cali. Yimmy
1: is a monster, dude. Like, the things Yimmy tunes, if you see the dyno sheets and how nasty early a lot of his stuff spools, it's like one of my buddies was like on a stock six you know stock sti vf39 and he made 450 foot pounds of torque at like 3700 35 3700 rpms i was like wow that thing's disgusting (laughs) so like boost response can be made right now are you risking your driveline and other things and i mean yeah but that's racing right
0: and and that's building that that low-end torque i mean that's your power band and, and it's you know based on where power and, and torque cross over like if, if you can get a lot of torque down low like that's where you have a lot of usable low rpm power
2: awesome for autocross too right i mean it's, that's you're trying it's to essential. like not shift
1: it's <laughs> yeah. essential it's literally essential to be like especially like more competitive at the top event of autocross like you need a little bit more horsepower and you need that early boost response mm-hmm. so we get the car tuned and my tuner is like this thing's disgusting, man. He's just like, uh, we get it on the dyno, and I, you know, granted, I'm on, on a stock 2 liter, and it made 430 foot-pounds of torque at 3,900 RPMs, and it made 503 at red line. And this is on a horsepower? Yes. Okay. Then this is wow. on a, a 20G turbo. So all the people telling me who, you know, you can't, you can't make the stuff spool earlier, well, we did it. Wow. We did, it. yeah. And I had another buddy who had a 400-400 horsepower Evo, and his spooled at like thirty five hundred. And he's like, he sat in an autocross. He's like, I just want to see how it feels. And he like he rode with me. He's like, he's like this thing. He's like, it's ridiculous. And I don't feel any boost lag difference compared to my car. Yeah. So and it just it yeah
0: it just goes to show that like if you man you you said you're obsessed with with uh, power band and, and boost response and if you you really put your energies into it, like going outside the box, there are, there are ways to find ways to improve uh, the the standard setups out there for sure.
2: I think people like um, underestimate how much actual energy and boost response are losing through waste gates, especially like external and internal waste gates. That's why those four parts are so nice because you're literally like boost pressure holding that thing closed until you don't want it to be closed, and you're like, all right, let's go, and then open it up, and so. I don't know it's so much better rather than it's i'm, I'm sure there's tur there, there's way skates out there that are just lifting because there is force i mean that's force on that plunger you know that's pushing right. people i don't know i i struggled not i wouldn't say i struggle with that but i set my uh, my g25 up that same way where i had boost pressure holding it close and then when i got to where i went boost pressure opening it
1: pushing it and open. that was
2: so much better than like a lot of these three-port setups
1: so you can actually, while it's closing, you can put two factors on it. You can put it pushing closed and sucking closed. And just like you're saying, like especially in external waistgates, yeah, they you know, a sur- external waistgate has got a lot more surface area. And this is where people talk about like, you know, um, boost creep, right? And overboosting and stuff like that. And like how it's not in, in most setups, it's not really your friend, but if you want something spooling earlier, like it's almost like we're riding the boost creep and is my opinion mm. when it comes to like the autocross stuff so when you got when you got one port slamming it shut and you got one port sucking it shut and you can control that but you also so you can have this equation and you can take it to a tuner and they're not going to achieve the result you want you know it's not all not everyone can achieve this result you can you can have the equation but you got to have the scientist to make it work
0: the the tuner has to know how to work with the tools on the car to actually get it to do what you
1: what you want it to do exactly Mm -hmm. and um but so you know the car and then i get it tuned it's running solid and i go run pro solo and this is my first pro solo and which is an scca um and uh i actually ended up winning the class in pro solo and when i signed up i signed up for what the xa class and there was no one in it Mm -hmm. so i went and dug through the rules and i found out you know a higher class that my car classified and fell in, and it was um, um, it was a R2, which was like an FP packs, and so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll run R2 just to have people to run against, and I was they're all on like gutted cars, big arrow Hoosiers, and here I am on this you know 3,400 pound boat on Yokohamas making 500, and I ended up winning the event, man, and that that's gotta feel awesome. It did. Like I was at that moment, it was like, man, like all the work, all the learning experiences, everything is finally kind of starting to, you know, on the autocross end is starting to come together. For sure. Now well, I gotta ask you this, Bailey. So it, to everybody that's listened to this point,
0: especially when you're when you're listing all of these trials and tribulations that you've been through with these various different cars. And unfortunately, we we do have one more that we have to at least mention. But is that as fun as it is to drive is that figuring something out like like having this idea in your head of like i think i can make this work better than almost everybody out there thinks can be done and finding a way to do it is that what keeps keeps you going what keeps you motivated or is it
1: is it equal parts that and and the driving and the experience of the events that's a tough question because i really enjoy both of it you know as as i get older and as i kind of like progress in my career and kind of get more knowledgeable and progress and motorsports and get more knowledgeable, like, like, yeah, if I, you know, if someone's like, if I just hear like a blatant statement, like, yeah, that's just not going to work, you know, because, and they, they don't really have like any, If like, you know what, man, I tested this and I did, I got this data and I did this for six months. And, and this is why it didn't work for me. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take that solid information any day. But if I just, Hey, I think this, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I'm going to give this a shot. What do you think about it? And they're just like, yeah, that's not going to work. Like, that's fuel for my fire right. to actually make it work. Right. Yeah. Very cool. All
0: right. Well, so so you, you got the car. You, you're crushing it at the autocross. How
1: how long was it from that point until you took took the Evo to Super Lap Battle this year? So it wasn't too far from it. Um, I did you know I did go do one shakedown and. And this, <laughs> I still had I still had to work on the brakes and everything. I so I go to MSRH, and I, I do a track day, and I beat the Subaru's lap time with traffic. And um, actually, like kind of near the end of the day, the, the the brake fade was starting to get pretty bad, and I just because the brakes were always good at autocross, so I never even bothered to deal with it. Well, when I like looked at the fluid, the fluid was black too. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got home, and I was like, "Okay, it's time to upgrade the the pads." I pulled off the pads, and they were AutoZone ceramic pads. <laughs> oh no! Okay, <laughs> so I'm out here at track day in this 500 horsepower monster, and just trying to put down a PB, and which I did. I only beat the Subaru's time by like a couple tenths. But actually, as I was coming into the carousel and MSR both times, uh, that was like on a PB that was going to be like three three seconds lower. I ran into like a, a C5 Corvette and I ran into a type R that held me up for the last like two corners of the track. And so and then I still beat my time. So I was like, man, this thing is moving in the right direction. I'm not upset. And another thing I did that a lot of people don't agree with is I installed Deffy gauges. Mm. And Deffy, you know, they're they're kind of bougie, but they come with something called the advanced BF control unit. And what you can do is it's got a little remote control. So Okay, I did my warm-up lap, I can go boom. I can hit record and I don't even have to worry about looking at the gauges for that entire lap. And I just I I go out and rip and then when I come it only record I think it only records for maybe like three to four minutes. But then when I come back when I come back to the pits, I can just go play. And then I can I can watch my oil pressure, my oil temp, and everything during the entire track session. And what I was also monitoring crankcase pressure at the time as well because you know that's a uh, something that we've gone down on yeah so yeah
2: in the subaru world for sure
1: yeah it's it's every as i started you know as i started looking at the evil world everyone's got crankcase pressure on all platforms anything anything boosted has crankcase issues yep
0: yeah it, um, it, it, at a bare minimum it's something that is worth paying attention to 100 percent.
1: so at msr My oil pressure was looking, and there's a couple fast right-hand sweepers in MSR going both directions. There is a carousel. It's a mini carousel. It doesn't compare to Cotas, but even in that, my oil pressure was staying like 70, 80. So I, you know, minus the brakes, I thought this car was like, this car was good to go. Solid. You know, like I was overheating, like the oil was getting a little hot, but I didn't have any ducting going to oil cooler, which I had knocked. I got that done shortly after that. But I, I really thought, like, man, this thing has come a long way and it's solid. Uh, well, that ended up not being
0: the case. Okay, so let let's let's let everybody in on 2022 Super lap for you. So
1: 2022. This is a mixed bag for sure. And and just, just for reference, I I already had the best baffled oil pan on the market you could buy. I had the best you know Kigley HLA. I had every oiling component. I had AMS oil. You know, I had every component to make the oiling system, you know, as best you could, you know, without going dry sump, in my opinion. And I thought it was dialed. And the fact that I didn't see oil pressure drop any below 70 at MSR, I thought I was, I thought I was okay. Um, so mistakes were still made 2020. So I, I was on, I was always running on my E85 map. Well, for enthusiast class, you have to run 93. So I switch okay. over to 93 map. And this is a mistake. I should have done it sooner. I switched over to the 93 map like a day or two before, and I go for a test rip, and it's running like ass.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, My my AFR is just pinged out at 10. I'm running super rich. It's just dumping fuel, and it's breaking up over, over wide open throttle. And I'm like, damn. So... I did, I talked to my tuner and he's like, ah, well, you know, when you got tuned, it was a lot colder. Now it's hot. You know, uh, some factors have changed. He's like when I tuned it, I already tuned it kind of rich to be a little per- on the protective end on 93 and the 93 map made about a little over 400 compared to the 85 map that made 500. So, and then the spool came in a little bit later too. It was a lot like the map overall was a lot more conservative for the motor. Sure. And, um, so Which I think some people get mixed up. They're like, "Oh, you're out there pushing 500 in a stock block," and like I was for autocross and one track day, but at at specifically that super lap, I was it was somewhat conservative, or at least what we thought. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was like, "Okay, I'll just I'll just get it there, and I'll I'll work with it, and we'll and we'll see what happens." Uh, I did throw some octane booster in the fuel another mistake i threw octane and booster in the fuel to try and kind of help maybe maybe it still had some maybe it was running a little bit weird because it still had 85 or you know just other stuff like that i did get running with octane booster running okay-ish before i left for the event but i didn't really have a whole bunch of time to like drain the fuel and get a retune and drive dakota okay so the plan was run day one and then kind of deal, and then get a tune, get a tune freshen up after day one, and kind of drive it around on the streets and and get the tune touched up. Um, so, first session, I left. We left the drivers' meeting. I forgot to get a transponder. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so I go out on track, and I, I'm running a couple laps, and I'm just getting it. I'm just feeling the car out. All the brake upgrades I had made, it felt absolutely amazing for the brake upgrades. You know, because that's something I've always been dealing with, like, especially 20, when I actually put my PB in the year before in the Evo for the couple laps I got, I actually came down the back straight, like, 155, and went to break, and they were gone. Oops. And I just downshift, 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 and then overshot the corner, and then still ended up, like, hitting my PB while, like, uh, fade, while the brakes were fading. So, like, the power yeah. was there. So braking is a huge thing, especially at Coda. Like, I just, uh, and that's another lesson is, you know, one lap at Coda is two hot laps anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Sure. And that's something yeah, I had... Yeah,
2: with how technical that track is and how long it is. I mean, you're hitting big speeds, and you're slowing way down off of those big speeds. It's, yeah. it's
1: something I hadn't considered. Like, so, you know, my, my go-to is, you know, two hot, one cool... One hot, one cool, pull off like that was kind of like the game plan that had worked for other track days, but that just that just doesn't work for Coda, unfortunately. In my, you know, other people might be more successful with it, but it's something that and I so just, wasn't. And just to explain that, so what you're saying on in your track session,
0: you were basically doing two two hot laps, doing a full lap to cool the car down, get get everything back to where you could actually do another hot lap, and so you would you were going through that. Uh, I don't. Know, that kind of pattern for each each session just to try and like optimize the car and not overtax the car on during
1: your during your lap session well that comes into the third mistake okay, okay. <laughs> so uh we'll, we'll call it the red mist mistake um so the first session i did do that i did two hot two hot one cool you know one hot one cool pull off you know it's still breaking up really bad it's pulling massive amounts of timing for me like I know at the power level, I, was, I should have been trapping, you know, probably closer to 150 in the back straight, and I think I only trapped, like, 125, 130, you know? Okay. So, it like, I, I know people don't believe me when it comes to, like, it that it was running rich and, like, I just wasn't making the power. I was making, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, you were making 400. Like, you're just slow. Like, <laughs> which is fair. Like, I still need driver mod, but I haven't got my real shot at Coda. When it you know, a lot of other people, you know, over what four years I've ran Coda, I have eight sessions. That should be I have Man. eight sessions. Wow. I mean, you know, you can call me the two lap king. Because... <laughs> <laughs> that is that is tough. That is that is a that is a tough hurdle to overcome for sure. So we think I think the oilings figured out, you know, whatever. I'm I'm pushing through it breaking up. I'm just going to try and put down the best lap time I can. And the end of day one was the plan. Let me get the tune fixed. Let me get it touched up and get the richest out of it. Well, I go out for, I go out for session two and this time I actually have a transponder. So it's time, it's time to set a flyer. I, you know, I do one and I come, you know, I, I, I set the second one and I, boom, I beat the PB. I, it was like, but i'm still figuring out the brakes like i'm still breaking probably at like the 150 mark i'm still feeling everything out like i'm pushing it but like there's definitely more to give i'm still just even just trying to figure out the track cuz it's always a new experience for me every time i come back with a, a differently modified car right. c- compared to before uh well so for okay we'll figure it out end of day so session 2 i go out i do one hot lap i do the second hot lap well I thought I was going for a cool. When I go back and look at the GoPro footage, it doesn't look like Bailey's going for a cool down. It looks like Bailey's, Bailey's going, going full, for a third hot lap. Bailey's going full <laughs> tilt for a third hot lap. And I'm like, oh my God, like I totally, or maybe it was just like a spirited cool down, but it definitely looked fast in the GoPro footage. And that's what had happened. And, th- and this is also, it might not have happened if I didn't do this attempt at possibly a third hot lap. I had looked down, and oil temp had touched like 250, and I was like, "Okay, it's it's hot. It's time to pull it." So I pulled it, and as I pulled it, and I was like, "Let me just coast in." But I think it was it was already past the point of no return. It started to heat soak, and I saw oil temp touch 280. Oh wow! So I'm like, "Ah shit! Like it's gotten t- it's it's gotten too hot." I'm just gonna try and limp it in, and then it starts it starts running even worse. And it um so I think it the oil got too thin from from sure. the from the over temperature, and that's kind of what thinned out, and so I ended up hurting rod bearings. Okay. So okay. I, I pull in, I know it's knocking. This is not a new noise to me. I know what it is. I'm like, I'm done, you know. Yeah. Currently though, I was sitting after sec I was sitting second in Enthusiast class. Wow. With with essentially four hot laps. So I was like, okay. So now the anxiety, the anxiety sets in for the entire weekend of watching other people's time and watch me slowly get chipped at and picked away for the weekend. Oh man! But all right, let's
0: let's give people the silver lining. Where where did it all end up? Well,
1: I'll give You can see
2: it. You can see it right above you, man. (laughs)
1: Uh, I'll go. So I ended up did taking third for the event. Okay. But it wasn't fully earned and other people in the community would agree. And I've actually had people come up to me and say like, Oh yeah, that guy would have still kicked your butt. Even if he would have fixed that, like some people and even me, like I'm always my own worst critic than anyone else. My driving definitely needs improving, but I need time on the track. I need stuff to not break. I need to do a full weekend to really get every, because I'm not like the type of guy that can just set his best lap in the first session. Like right. I need to fill it out. I need to fill out the brakes. I need to fill out the shifts. I need to, I need to work at it. Even at autocross, typically my fastest run is always my last one or two. Sure, sure. You're 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 proving through the course of the weekend. I mean that that seems totally natural. So, what had happened in regards to that is apparently first place had an illegal splitter. He had a five inch splitter instead of a three inch splitter. Um, anyone who followed my facebook i was religiously posting about the rules and like oh i cut a quarter inch off my wing because it was just barely wider than the body And you know like mm-hmm. i was following these rules to a t so i'll break I'll, I'll chalk it down to good karma that i took third off of just being religious about the rules compared to i also did hear rumor that the guy who was in first was running way more than 100 octane
2: mm. was you this know... that civic type r because I remember a car that ended up getting a DNF for something weird. I didn't even know that was even happening.
1: He got DQ'd. So, I I had talked to Tony because one of the other guys, um, Thomas Thompson, fast guy in the CTSV, who actually or ATSV, who won last year, he was having issues too. I know it would have been a tough shootout between the two of us. <clears throat> he was having, like, electronics issues, and his car wasn't allowing him to put down a full lap. Well, it allowed him to put down... 90 percent of a flyer and he beat me by like 0.3 and bumped me off podium he bumped Mm -hmm. me from third to fourth and i'm like oh i'm devastated right i've put my soul into this i've put you know years of work into this i'm just like all right well i was just going to take it on the chin and and i left so i left the event I, i packed up the trailer and i left and i'm an hour away in san antonio enjoying a um, California burrito. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I get I get a message from Tony Serska on Messenger, like, hey, call me. So I call him, he's like, hey, where you at? He's like, you took third. I'm like, what do you mean I took third? He goes, well, on the very last session of the Superlap shootout, I looked down at first place, and his splitter had a lot, a lot of duct tape on it, or like a lot of tape. So he made him pull back the tape and measured it, and he had a five-inch splitter instead of a three-inch splitter. Mm. So, he had already ran the entire weekend and he got DQ'd for the event, which bumped me from fourth to third. Wow. Very
0: cool. Well, you know, there's a reason that you got to run the races. You, you can't you can't guess what's going to happen. And there's the reason that the rules are the rules. And I mean, it's not the way you want to win. It's not the way you want to get on the podium. But honestly, with with like all of this this story that you've laid out for people, like if, if they were not familiar with your with your path to this point, like a little, a little bit of a karmic nudge to get you on the podium is probably well deserved at this point. So just, I, and, and the cool thing is, is you know what the potential is now. And, and maybe that's, that's the other hook that keeps you coming back. Is like, if you weren't, if the car was never hundred percent the whole weekend and you still were putting down the, these quick times and knowing that if you could have driven for the rest of your sessions for the weekend, it would have just continued to improve the potential is there and that's, that's something where it's just like, Oh man, and can, you get it back together. Can you make it happen? That is, you that know, is
2: what go ahead. Dustin. The, the Bailey, the Bailey I saw leaving Superlap was like, I'm done. This is it. I'm never doing it again. That might've been this third place podium thing might've been the thing that brings you back. Right. I mean, <laughs> that, that Bailey is gone and we got the new Bailey, right?
1: That's right. So I, you know, I, You know, regardless of whether I need drive or not, mod or not, regardless of, you know, maybe I need to not get the red mist out there and drive the car a little bit better. Like, yeah, I I have molehills, but I know, I know in my soul that that car can hit sub-230. I know I'm capable, and I know the car is capable of sub-230, which is is competitive for enthusiast class. I, I know it can be done. I just need the time and get out there and do it. Well, and,
0: and another thread through this, through kind of you explaining all of this, and you've said it many times, that a lesson is, has been learned. Um, I mean, it seems like you're really doing your best to to go through all of these experiences and, and as much as possible, learn from each one and, and try not to make that same mistake again. And, and it, everything it has, that has happened has been different, but that means that you've got now all of these this, this breadth of experience and all these lessons that you have learned, so hopefully You're getting really close to that tipping point where, finally, you're you're going to be able to put it all together, get all the pieces to line up, and and have that good weekend. So we'll talk
1: about the last mistake. Oh no! Okay. All right. And the last mistake is, I eventually I think everyone reaches a point in their career where they just have to kind of trust their own gut and their own instinct. Um, As you know, what we were talking about, I was Matt. You know, doing a lot of crankcase pressure. Data testing and other stuff like that. I wanted to install an AccuSump. I had the AccuSump. I bought all the parts. I had it sitting on the shelf. I ran MSR. Oil pressure was great. I was like, maybe I don't need to install it, right? Um, another guru in a different com- you know in the Evo community we had talked about, and he, you know he put this little bug in my ear that if you install the AccuSump, your blow by is going to increase massively right and i'm i'm currently trying to kind of monitor how much comes out of the can and kind of you know and so if i would have thrown that variable in it kind of would have changed the testing i was working on
2: hmm. okay
1: and you know there was one weekend a couple weekends before super lap and i'm like the car is ready to go you know i did the quick disc amount splitter you know which came out awesome that mm-hmm. got killer amounts of views on all platforms and uh I was staring at the AccuSump and I was like, should I install you? Like, I had the time. Like, I, I had everything to do it. And but, I looked at it and I was like, no, because at MSR, like, my oil pressure didn't drop. Hmm. And then, you know, this other guy is saying, I, sh- you know, I shouldn't install it because my, my blow by is going to massively increase. So I choose not to install it. And I think yeah. it could have been a saving grace if I would have installed it. Could have been.
0: I mean, those, those AccuSumps, if it's there, it's, it's like the fire suppression we were talking about earlier. If it's there and you need it, it, it could be the saving grace. And if, if it's there and you don't need it, then no harm, no, no foul, hopefully. Um, what I will what I can tell you actually is there's, there's one of our guys uh, that, that has been, he just installed an AccuSump on his Bierzy race car. And he's been basically just now trying to get it set up. He hasn't tracked his car yet. He's, he's put it on, he's trying to figure out how to set set the accent sump up and it's taken him a bit of time to actually get it to the point where he's now comfortable with it as far as set up properly oil level in the car is set up properly Um, so there is a little bit to it if you didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of testing i can tell you like from what i know now that it you might have actually been having just trouble just getting comfortable with the accent on the car if you would have put it on but, I mean, yes, it's possible you would have been fighting with that and not
1: lost the engine at have but hard hard to say for sure. It, it It's tough to say. It's just, you know, but when I think it comes down to, like, there's a lot of people in the community with kind of, like, kind of old-school ideas and, you know, some of, you know, like when it comes to, like, the crankcase pressure stuff or the boost response stuff, you know, I get a lot of resistance from other people in regards to these topics and which I understand like other people have got, you know, some some data and it's I'm I'm trying to try and stuff that other people not necessarily have it. Okay. Um, there's still a works in progress but sometimes you just got to trust your gut and maybe maybe don't ask the people around you, "Hey, what do you think about this?" and just kind of do it and see where it goes from there. And and it's being being
0: willing to like take in what what, like the common thought process is or or the common school of thought is, think through it, come up with what makes sense to you and then finding a way to collect data is just so important because like, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of common schools of thought that are are well, let's say well tested but are not a hundred percent right. And, and a lot of times it's because it's like, they, they just work well enough, but you're, you're not getting into the failure condition enough in the broad strokes to actually really point a finger to like, this is not as good of a solution as you think it is, or, or to highlight where the shortcomings of this commonly accepted solution is. Um, and the more that you can kind of explore and collect data, then that's where like, once you once you have that process, you know what you're doing, you know what you're looking for, you know what data you're collecting and and you're you're, following your process through then that's i mean that's a really important piece of the puzzle to figure out like which direction you're moving it are you onto something or not and and if you are onto something like for me that that is that is that is the inspiration to keep going because if you if you're getting these if you're making your your hypothesis and you're doing the testing and and it keeps checking off all the boxes of what you would expect to see and it starts to deviate from what the common school of thought is, then that's where it's like, okay, i keep, got to keep running this through and, and see where it all leads.
2: Yeah, if it makes you feel any better too, I'm not a, a firm believer of the AccuSump either. I think it's the placebo effect. And there's just so many like things that have to be set up in a certain way. Chris Bissell's got one. And, I mean, if he forgets to close the valve before he shuts the car off or doesn't rev it up to a certain point before he shuts the valve in and all that stuff, it creates so much extra work. Just, yeah. I don't know. I I don't know if it's the silver bullet that everyone thinks that it is.
0: I, I think it's it's. I, I, everybody's wondering what I'm talking about. I'm gonna think. I am gonna say it's like a, an an ARL separator. It's a band aid. It's not a solution, and and it can help, but only in certain circumstances. And and the biggest downside with ARL separator is. I'm sorry, not the aerosupper, but with the AccuSump is you have a finite volume, which is not as much of a cushion as you would think, because like if, you're, if your engine is running at full chat, the time you have to figure out, okay, well, like say you have a, a three-quart AccuSump, well, how long does it take your oil pump at say 7,000 RPMs, 6,000 RPMs to move three quarts of oil? And it's probably going to be a lot less time than you think. That's That's all your protection. It might be a second, second and a half. That's all you get. And then the, the, using the air column to apply the pressure is just weird. And that's that's what uh, Jason who's been working with his, getting his setup is, is the challenge because you have to open the valve to let it pressurize and you have to let it basically pressurize and, and store the oil to get the oil out of the sump. But the temperature of the oil is a big factor because when the oil is cold, it's thicker. So the pressure is higher. So that because the pressure is higher, if the valve is open, it's gonna push a lot more oil into the Accusump, which may be good maybe not, hard to say. But then the other weird part is because it's a column of air, so like you can, you have, a, you can have a gauge on the back of the column. So like, all right, every, all the oil in this, in this chamber with the valve shut, it's now at 70 pounds of pressure. So if you open that valve, when the oil pressure is below 70 PSI, it's gonna push that oil in at 70 PSI to start with. But as it moves in, because the column of air is going to extend, the pressure is gonna drop. So like there's there's this there's a effect of the oil moving back and forth and, and you don't get as much of a of a buffer with pressure with accent column as it is it would seem or is people that talk about it would say it's like, well, if you've got three quarts in there and it's at sixty psi, you're gonna get three quarts in at sixty psi, but it's not gonna not gonna work exactly that way. That another sense.
2: thing another thing too is that they really and that's what I try to tell Chris, they really need to have a light. Because, like, when the AccuSump discharges, that's your get the fuck off of it moment right there. Right. Like, oh my God, the thing just saved my engine, you know? Right. And I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody have one set up like that. Bailey, you work on helicopters. You deal with accumulators and hydraulics at all?
1: Um, I did some. So that was at that was the beginning. So I, I currently don't work on helicopters. My current oh, okay. position is I'm a sheet metal mechanic, and actually, I'm a government contractor for NASA. Nice. Yeah, not so. for the
2: auto sport association <laughs> the one time the other the other nasa <laughs> that, on this that just,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah um so <laughs> i you know, we did have some kind of accumulators and stuff like that but i i understand everything you're saying it is it can be an uncontrolled variable on okay how much air pressure do i put in the side of this and how much is it going to shoot out at this time and is there ever going to be a moment where it decides to oh it's time to fill the accumulator and it actually starves the pickup because it's it's yeah. it's going back into the accumulator it's it's another it's another variable, um,
2: yeah because the oil pump has to pump the oil back into the accumulator or yeah. into the acusump in this case and the
0: AccuSump is is connected to basically the oil flow in the engine because when it goes in you want it to go in and feed the oil in the engine so that's where it's plumbed into but that's also where it's going to pull oil from once once the pressure differential is to the point where it's going to start filling up again i i don't think they're i don't think they're bad and i think that like if you like say you're in a class where you can't put on a dry sump or something like that it if you get it working properly are you probably better off having an AccuSump on the car than not yes i i think you need to do testing with it and like really get familiar with it and like it you you like you, I would not want to be in your shoes, having just put on an AcuSump and then showing up to an event like Superlap Battle of Lakota and trying to figure out this all this weird behavior that you're seeing. Like, is this good? Is this bad? Like, is this, is this normal or not?
1: Like, That's what fair. Is That's very fair, you know. But it's not uncommon for me to show up Superlap with multiple issues and try and just drive through them, and Oof. regardless of the outcome, you know, which which is it, challenging. Yeah. If it came if it came down to the saving grace, probably probably the third hot lap was uh, what did it and yeah. if I would have just done two I probably would have came out okay Pre- hopefully would have got the car <clears throat> tuned fixed that night and then able to really try and put down the flyer I know that I and the car were capable of the next day right right and it's it's
0: motorsports man it is it is not easy and and I think that it's 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 easy to forget that it isn't easy sometimes and, or, or at least to like, like when things are simple, when the car's close to stock, when it's not making a lot of power. And like we talked about at the beginning, you're driving to the track, you're driving at the track, you're driving home. You're thinking, this is great. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's easy to forget that like you start, you start turning knobs up and start making more power, more boost, all these sorts of things, things get more complicated fast. And, and you can't assume that your experience is always going to be the same as that. and, you start modifying the car a lot and there's all these challenges that you, you might run into and that you might have to work through. Um, and that's that's just kind of a part of it. Uh, I mean, it, it's we've, we've talked to a lot of people now at this point and man, to some extent or the other, every single one of them has had this kind of a, a path into or through motorsports where right? it's not a simple process. It's not like there's nobody that's just basically like, yeah, I just turn the car on and go drive. It's really fast. It's amazing. I don't have any problems. And I put it in the trailer and I go <laughs> like, man, I'm going to do this again in six months. And I turn the car on six months later and it's exactly the same
1: and everything works. It's it's a dream. Like that I, that just doesn't happen. I think that's kind of the crux is, you know, you know, kind of like with gambling, how they always say, you know, you win your first time gambling and then it, it reels you back in. So right. when you're when you're brand new to motorsports, like. Man, the car is great to me. Like it's it's doing well. It's not breaking. Like it's being it's being good. Like I I love this. I could do this forever. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. throw five hundred horsepower and let's throw let's throw this at it. And you're like, yep. oh no, like things have spiraled very fast.
0: <laughs> right, right. And it's so easy to get it out of control so so quickly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the plus side of it is it, like there's there's all sorts of reasons to come back. Right. I mean driving fast at the track is fun. Driving on the track at speed is a, is a kind of experience you can only get at the track, really, in my opinion. Working through some of these things, I mean, figuring stuff out. If you're the kind of person that likes being presented with a really challenging puzzle, and then like once you figure it out, you're like, I, I hated this thing for six months, and now this is the best thing ever. I mean, there's, there's pieces of that in motorsports for sure, too, and, and just figuring out those those problems and solutions. I mean, that, that can certainly be a draw. And just like once you once you work through all this, these trials and tribulations to get to the point, like I have no doubt that you will get to the point where you have a good super lap battle, where you have two days where you might not be trouble-free, but you're able to get, get on track and put down lap times on both days, and you're going to come out of that, especially from all that extra driving time, and you're going to have you know new personal bests after new personal bests. And that's that's what it's all about.
1: That's that that is that is the goal. Like you know, I even I tell you know, even if it's not at superlap, even if I take maybe a year off to figure the car out and kind of, you know, and I actually there's a new oil pan that hit the market from a guy out of New Zealand, and I'll talk about that for a second. Um, but yeah, like I have a personal vendetta with Coda, regardless of who is there or not. I am not leaving Coda without breaking and. And hitting a sub two thirty, there is there is no even if I you know not that I can afford it rent the track and buy myself and I set this lap time. I am stuck on this vendetta with Coda. Mm-hmm. Man, well, and I I think you're going to do it, and I can't
0: wait to see you do it. I think you've got a lot of the pieces to the puzzle. It's just going to all fall into place for you. Agreed. Man, and it's it's that is that is the challenge when you know you've got it and you just can't quite. Everything to work right at the same time, and yeah, but that's what keeps you coming back. All right. Well, we've gone, we we've actually kept you a long
1: time, and and it's It's later
0: for you than it is for us.
1: I love talking about this stuff. I don't mind.
0: (laughs) So do we, and that's that was a lot of big inspiration to even start doing this podcast. So first and foremost, Bailey, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for telling us about your I mean your journey to this point. I I do want to mention here should have mentioned it earlier, but like you've done a lot, I've seen you doing a lot lately on Instagram where you're kind of talking through, like taking questions, talking through problems, talking through what you found. You kind of did a walkthrough of your engine. Um, when, when you got back from, from super and, and tore it all down and what you found and stuff like that. So if anybody is curious about more details or wants to see more about any of these pieces of the puzzle, you know, definitely check out his TikTok, TikTok, tick and Instagram for sure. Um, I know. Dustix is. we're winding down. Did you have any other questions or any other things you want to talk, talk with Bailey about?
2: Oh man, I just hope you keep coming out, dude. I, I think it's just, uh, I don't know. It's fun to see familiar faces. It's fun to see people. I, I like these podcasts a lot when I know like everybody involved and know all the pictures and all the people and, and the internet's not going to flame me hardcore just because you were on here, but <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, that's why we do all this stuff. We have a good time and, and, Shit, I don't know. I'm bummed that you're not in Subarus, but that doesn't mean I don't want to ever see you again. So I'm pumped that you're still coming out. So I don't want to see that Bailey that says, fuck Superlap, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to see the Baileys like, fuck yeah, Superlap, who's going with me? So i right.
1: The drive is still there. It, it may take a year off. I don't know. I'm undecided. You know, I do, I have a baby. I have a baby due in December, and this will be. Oh, man child number 2 and i just started you know a new job in houston you know working as the government contract for nasa and my work schedule is volatile you know we kind of we have to support the mission and you know so i'm just kind of i'm just kind of floating right now the evo is on hold i'm kind of putting away money i already know what i want to buy I, i'm i'm going to build a 2.2 liter stroker <laughs> and i'm going to try and tackle it myself you know i use technical tools every day for my job i think i can build a motor and if it doesn't work then I have no one to blame but myself that the motor didn't work. I I don't have any engine builder to be upset with. I don't have, like, I want to, you know, I've been starting to venture down. I want to tackle everything myself. Mm -hmm. I want to rebuild that five-speed that broke. I have a transfer case I'm working on right now. I rebuild active center diff pumps, and now I want to build the motor. You know, I want to take myself to the next level and become more self-sufficient and not always kind of be on someone else's timeline because yeah. you know a lot of the stuff is backlogged for 6 months for a year if you need anything done. Yeah. Well and, and it's being able to build engines and transmissions it's
0: like you it gives you another window into how everything works. It's I, I would I would love to get to that point myself as well but it's one of those like I, I know how much time it's going to take and, and I know that there's iterations. Like it, it it's not going to be it, it's not going to be the same thing with engine building like I, I read a book I got some tools. I put an engine together. It's perfect the first time. <laughs> yeah. No issues whatsoever. I don't know what yeah. everybody says is so hard about this. And you just, and that's the <laughs> one engine you ever had to build. And it's just, it's got a billion miles on it, making a thousand horsepower. No, no big deal. That's not, that's not the path. But it's like if you get to the end of that path and the knowledge and the skill set that you have is going to be so valuable. Um, you know, and, and that's someday maybe I'll take it on. I don't know. Who knows? But it's, I, I encourage you to do it if, if you've got that that interest in it and you've got a lot of that kind of like base skill set of using like really, really detailed measuring devices and, and all that sort of thing. it's it hopefully will be a good experience for you. I hope so. Yeah, that's that's the goal is, is to find a way to do this thing that we love but not go crazy in the process. You know and, and you're talking about taking a year off. That would be the one other thing I would say is that can be really valuable is to know when to take a step back because man, deadlines and pressure are, are not uh, the ingredients for good decision-making all the time. And, uh, and so that can, that can, like you get through a couple of those bad experiences like that where you're just kind of putting yourself into a pressure cooker and it, that can have, that can really take the fun out of it. And that can, I think more than often than
1: not can push people out of doing this, uh, this hobby. On, on closing, though, that's, you know, I'll get a little spiritual on you guys. You know, I, I do kind of believe in like manifestation and stuff and like kind of thoughts become reality. And I've definitely in the last two years, I've had some success with that. And but at the same time, you know, there is I think sometimes the universe is telling you when, you know, like it was, you know, like super Lap battle 2020, you know, when I jumped 10 teeth and I threw the motor together in three days, four days. Like, was that a sign of, hey, if you put, you know, that's that's a tough decision to make is is this do i grind and push through this and come out on top or is this a a take a break and take a step back like it's Mm -hmm. really tough when you're in the heat of it to make that decision of what is it telling me do i need to do i need to push through this issue or do you need to take a step back from this issue yeah and and a lot of times go ahead desics
2: I was going to say, I never listen to that stuff and I make the the most stubborn mistakes and I continue (laughs) to speak my head against the wall. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing too, is you're like a super lap OG. Like how many people get the opportunity to be there at the first and the last event, you know? And so to me, I mean, that's it. I know last year I was like, I can't do it. Can't do it. And then this other car popped up. I'm like, I don't know. We're going to try and do this now. And I don't know. It just feels like you're part of something when you're there. Like, you watch it grow every time and it's it'd be i'm in such like i totally level with that the whole spiritual you know the the create your own reality and and the manifestation but it is a tough spot to be in for sure
0: and and what i was going to say is sometimes you you have to force yourself to push through a couple times to see what to find out what you're capable of because and then the, the other part of that too is a lot of times what you discover, especially with with motorsports, is that kind of like what you said with your wiring harness, a lot of times what you think is a really big insurmountable problem if you actually motivate yourself to get in there and really get to the bottom of it is not huge and insurmountable. But you have to kind of give yourself the motivation to get in there and, and discover it. But sometimes biting off more than you can chew can have a negative re- repercussion. You've got to kind of go both ways. You've got to push through and, Try and push through and not get the result that you want a couple of times to get to the point where then you, you have a better basis to make that analysis with the next challenge that you're faced. You've, you've got to push through and try it to, to have the, the knowledge base to realize this is, this is the point where I need to stop and this is the point where you know, I, I can't let this get into my head and, and stop me. I need to push through this. This is not going to be that bad. but it's it's almost only experience is the only thing that can can give you that
1: basis to to make that decision and you know i'm i'm nothing but grateful for all my experiences regardless of how many how many failures i've had how maybe maybe some people you know (sighs) think my cars or me are not up up to the task you know um I'm just grateful from everything I, I've learned from it. i you know, how I, like my professional career and my motorsports career—they kind of build on each other. You know, like so I, sometimes I'm running into things where I'm working on on the aircraft. and I'm like, oh hey, I did this with the car, and this actually kind of helped in this situation. Like, I'm constantly learning and growing. Like, I know I'm—I haven't reached my cap, and it could take—it could take you know another five years, but there will be a day that I, I sit where I want to sit
0: absolutely 100% i have no doubt that it's going to happen hopefully for all of us and everybody listening but it's it's that it's that sticking with it you got to stick with it and you got to know that it's a process that's that's the one key ingredient for sure all right well as it has been a really good conversation but it has been a long conversation so i want to I want to thank you bailey for setting aside the time and, and chatting with us and Dusics. uh thanks to everybody at home for listening really appreciate it thanks for your support as always and as it's been a long time uh, we will let you go here, and while we'll just say thank you again for listening, and until next time, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Flatirons Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.